We're in Romans 4. We're in Romans 4. Are you ready for some sound doctrine? Yeah. So, okay, good, because this is some good doctrine we're going to talk about this morning. Romans chapter 4, and I know I, I told you last week that we would complete the point we started last week. We would complete verse 16, and then we would move on to the next point. No. We are going to stay on this point. And we will pick up the next point next week. So this is part five of a series that is getting longer and longer and longer. But I anticipate maybe we will finish it next week and move to chapter five. We'll see. But there's just some good stuff here at, this, at the end of this section in verse 16 that I, wanna, I wanted to spend a little more time talking to you about. So Romans chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to grab one of the blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you. Flip it open to page 941. That'll bring you to the text that we're in this morning. And we're going to read verses 1 through 16 like we did last week, just for context. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul records these words. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness." Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Inside of your bulletins, you'll notice this outline. 
We can use it to follow along. We're continuing to examine and draw out several truths from the faith of Abraham, and we're doing that so that we might understand the role and nature of faith as it relates to our salvation. The first point that we looked at, the first truth that we drew out of the faith of Abraham was found in verses 1 through 8, and that was simply that it is, was not by works, it was not by works, but rather by faith that Abraham was justified or made right with God. And then we saw in verses 9 through 12, and we're not going to review these this week like we did last week, but in verses 9 through 12, it was not by circumcision, it was not by religious ceremony, but rather by faith that Abraham was justified or made right with God, saved. And then we looked at last week, beginning in verses, verse 13, the promise to Abraham cannot be attained through the law, but rather it is guaranteed to all who share the faith of Abraham. That's verses 13 through 16. Now, we started point three last week, and we left off at verse 16. And hopefully you were here last week, or you took the time to listen to that sermon online. But some of what I said last week, last Sunday, I will, concerning verses 13 through 15, I will repeat it as we look at verse 16 today, so hopefully you'll be caught up. So right up front, I would simply say this concerning verses 13 through 15. Paul's primary point in verses 13 through 15, is to make it clear that the special promise to Abraham and his offspring concerning inheriting the world is a promise that cannot be attained or realized through the law of God or through, as we looked at last week, through obedience to the law of God. That's the main point. And that point was necessary for the Apostle Paul to say here in Romans and make clear because the standard Jewish view, the common Jewish view at the time in the first century was that it was fidelity or faithfulness or loyalty to the law of God that secured the promise for them that God originally made to Abraham, okay? That is what they thought, and that was wrong. The law didn't secure the promise. Faith secured the promise. One writer simply says this concerning what Paul is doing here in Romans 4, and and actually in Romans. He says that Paul is countering, he's opposing the very positive and sometimes even salvific, I'll explain that in a second, salvific function given the law in Jewish theology. Okay, theology. So their understanding of God and his word and what he has said concerning the law was very, very positive, even to the point of being salvific, meaning that it was through the law that one is saved. It is through the law that one becomes right. With God, It is through the law and obedience to that law, loyalty to that law, faithfulness to that law, that one secures the blessings of salvation. And Paul is countering that false idea. And beloved, I've told you before, this is not just a first century 
Jewish idea. This idea has made its way right into the 21st century. There are still many people who are relying upon the law of God, their faithfulness to it, their loyalty to it, to secure for themselves the salvation of God, to secure for themselves the promises, the great promises of God. And beloved, they aren't attained through the law. They aren't attained through the law. This is not the first time in Romans that Paul has countered the faulty thinking among the Jewish people concerning the law that God gave them. But if you remember, he also addressed the issue in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, where he said this, you can look there in your text, you'll find it, by the works of the law, by the works of the law, by obedience to the law, the law that God gave the people, his people, the Jewish people, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Not a one. Why, Paul? Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law doesn't come salvation. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. And we've talked about this already as we were looking through Romans. But the law of God, beloved, cannot save sinners or rescue them from God's wrath. The law of God cannot secure for them the blessings of salvation or the promises of God that he has made to the people of God. Rather, according to the Apostle Paul, the law makes our sin known. It makes it known. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. Paul will say this again in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. There he says, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. You know, one person said it this way. Maybe there was a point where people thought when, or the children thought when they were being disobedient to their mom and dad or dishonoring their mom and dad, they just thought that was normal behavior for kids and parents. But then the law came and the law said, honor your father and your mother. And so now they realize by the giving of that law that that behavior was sin, was sin. That's what the law does, it exposes our sin. It shows sinful humanity how far we fall short of God's approval. That's what it shows us. It shows us how messed up and unrighteous we really are. It shows us how unworthy of God's favor and blessing that we really are. And Paul adds to this discussion concerning the law of God and what it really does. He adds to it now in this chapter, chapter 4, verse 14, by telling his readers, not only does the law reveal sin, beloved, the law brings wrath. That's what the law of God does. It brings wrath. God's wrath. Why? And we looked at this last week. Because according to the Apostle Paul, the law of God turns people's sins into transgressions. It elevates it from just sin to transgression. That is, it renders them even more accountable to God by stating very clearly what God requires of us, of people. And so when people now sin in light of the law, in light of that knowledge, their sin then becomes Deliberate disobedience, transgression, a violation of God's law, rebellion against God. 
And so the law of God, beloved, doesn't bring God's favor to the sinner. (laughs) It brings God's wrath. It brings God's wrath, which we discussed, as I said last week. One writer puts it this way simply. The law is so closely bound up with sin and wrath. When you think of the law, you also have to think of sin and wrath. They're bound together. It is so closely bound up, the writer says, that it is unthinkable that the law should be the basis of this promise, a promise of blessing, a promise of of God's goodness, great inheritance. It's unthinkable that the two would be connected. So if the promise is not attained through the law of God then, and it isn't, how is it attained? Well, it is attained through the righteousness, I'll review by the way, it is attained through the righteousness of faith, according to verse 13. It is attained through the righteousness of faith, or through the righteousness that comes by faith. That's how the NIV translates it. That is, listen, the promise is attained by those who have been made right with God or who have been justified. How have they been justified, beloved? By their works? No. By their circumcision, religious ceremony, by baptism, by anything of that nature? No. Through the law? No. Through faith. Through faith alone. So after Paul explains why the promise cannot be attained through the law in verses 14 and 15, because that's what he's doing. He states it in 13. It cannot be through the law. Here's why, 14 and 15. But it is through faith. Here's why, verse 16. And this is where we left off last week. And this is a very important verse within this passage. So we're going to look at it. We're going to spend a little time right now looking at it. Look back at the text with me. Look back at the Word of God. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Now Paul's going to tell us why the promises of God are attained through faith. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Leave it up there for just a second. It, do you see the word it uh, in the first sentence? That is why it, you guys see that? So this is responsive. I need to remind you that once in a while. If I ask a question, it's okay if you answer it out loud. Do you see that word it? Yes, excellent. You are there. Good. It, in the beginning of verse 16, based on the context, what we've been looking at, the verses around it, this chapter, that it refers to the promise of inheriting the world, of inheriting the world. We talked about that last week. The promise Paul has been speaking about clearly in verses 13 and 14. You can just look at that. You can see it right there in the context. And I want to reiterate that the, this promise from God, you can drop the verse now, this promise from God is connected to the salvation of God, okay? This promise of inheriting the world is connected to the salvation of God, meaning that this promise will only be realized 
for the true people of God. Those who by the grace of God have been justified or made right with God through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus that is received, you know how it's received? Through faith. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 25. Or to say it another way, this promise made to Abraham concerning inheriting the world is only for those who, like Abraham, have been saved by faith who have faith like Abraham's, a saving faith, a faith that saves. I'm saying it a bunch of different ways to make the point as crystal clear as I can make it. Last Sunday, we saw in verse 13 of chapter 4 that this incredible promise made to Abraham concerning inheriting the world is for Abraham, and not only for Abraham, but for all of his offspring. Do you remember that? All of his offspring or descendants, maybe your translation, Bible translation says. And as I explained to you last week, when Paul uses that word offspring or descendants here, he isn't strictly referring to Abraham's physical offspring or descendants, or another way to understand that, the Jews or the Jewish people. He isn't specifically, strictly speaking about that. Rather, based on the context, we should understand Paul to be saying that the promise is for all those who believe God like Abraham did or for all those who share the faith of Abraham. That's what it says in verse 16. For all those who share the faith of Abraham, or another translation puts it this way, all who are of the faith of Abraham. Meaning that simply being a Jew or a physical descendant of Abraham does not necessarily make one an heir of the world. Rather, the heirs of the world, beloved, are both Jews and Gentiles who follow the pattern of faith that was exhibited by Abraham, that we see in Abraham, who happens to be called the father of all who believe. We see that in verses 11 and 12. This understanding is consistent with what the Apostle Paul says in another one of his letters, in the book of Galatians, Chapter 3, verse 7, where there we read, Know then, or understand, that it is those of faith, or those who believe, depending on your translation, those of faith, or those who believe, who are the sons or the children of Abraham. Okay? Believers, beloved, you could understand it this way, believers are the children of faith. They are the children of faith. And the man of faith, Abraham, is their father in that sense. Did you hear that? Believers are the children of faith, and the man of faith, Abraham, is their father in that sense. 
So it is for Abraham and all of his children of faith that this promise is for. Now, as we begin to look at verse 16, I just want to point out the way that the New American Standard Bible translates the beginning of verse 16 because I found it helpful. Instead of saying what the ESV says, which is that is why it depends on faith, the NASB puts it this way, for this reason it is by faith. For this reason it is by faith. And I think that is a better translation. I think it is more clear and more accurate. For this reason it is by faith. And then what you see as you read further in verse 16, Paul is now giving the reason or explaining why the promise depends on faith. Okay? And he begins by telling us that it, follow me, it, the promise, is by faith or depends on faith so that, and here's the reason, so that it may rest on God's grace or so that the promise may be in accordance with grace. That's how the New American Standard Bible... I reference the New American Standard Bible frequently because it's another very good translation, excellent translation of the Word of God. So this is why it, that it's so that it depends on grace, or as the New American Standard Bible says, so that it may be in accordance with grace. What does that mean, in accordance with grace? In harmony, in harmony with grace. Not opposing grace, but consistent with grace. So let's talk about that idea. Let's talk about that idea for a moment. God's plan concerning the promise to Abraham and to his offspring, or to his, as I've said, children of faith, was a plan that made attaining this promise entirely a matter of, of faith. Entirely a matter of faith. But why? Why is that true exactly? Why must it be attained by faith? Why? Why not the law? Why can't the promise be attained by the law? And the simple answer, beloved, is grace. That is the answer. It is grace. It is so that it may be a matter, the promise may be a matter of sheer and utter grace. Now let me try, that's the answer, but I'm gonna, we're going to dive into it, okay? I'm going to try to explain the connection to you between faith and grace and why these two necessarily go together so that you can understand how significant the point Paul is making here in Romans 4. You just won't read over it and go, okay, this is huge. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. And it's important for you to know this sound doctrine. First, what is grace? What is grace? A girl's name? Sometimes, but not in this context. Is it it dancing gracefully? No, it's not, not in this context. Biblically speaking, Biblically speaking, in the biblical context, grace is this. Write this down if you've never done this before. Write it down. Grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. You could stop there and that would be good enough, but I'm just going to push it a little bit farther. 
unmerited favor or kindness or blessing. It's all saying the same thing, kind of. Favor, blessing, or kindness, all unmerited, that is freely, freely bestowed or given. Okay? Bestowed, just a fancy word for kind of given. Freely bestowed or given. Unmerited favor or kindness or blessing, freely bestowed or given. You with me? That's what grace is, biblically speaking. Now, to make this very clear, I want, I want you to be so clear before you walk out of here today. Unmerited means, I mean, you may say this is so obvious, but I don't want to take that for granted. Unmerited means not deserved <laughs> or not merited. Okay? Does that make more sense? So this is favor and blessing, not deserved. In the Boy Scouts, how many of you have some familiarity with the Boy Scouts? Three. Excellent. I guess they are four. All right. Five. Okay. And the rest don't want to raise their hand. That's fine. That's fine. But you, some, most of you are familiar with the Boy Scouts, I think. In the Boy Scouts, they give out these merit badges. That's what they call them. They're merit badges. They give those out when the Scout has done something in the Boy Scout system to deserve or earn the badge. You with me? Okay, thank you, Thomas. (laughs) If there were such a thing, (laughs) now follow me, if there were such a thing as grace badges, grace badges, then having one would indicate that you have received favor or blessing of some sort, that you did nothing to deserve, that you did not earn it or merit, but rather it was just freely given to you. Right? I don't know. I mean, is that, is that kind of as cool as having, you know, 25 merit badges? Right? I mean, can you imagine all these, you know, 25 grace badges? Wow, 25 grace badges. You did absolutely nothing (laughs) to earn or deserve any of that. Just freely given to you. Wow, lucky fellow you are. Blessed fellow. Blessed. So now listen carefully. Grace. This is so big, guys. Grace, if it is to remain grace. Pure grace cannot be bestowed, there's that fancy word again, or given to someone because they have done something to earn it or merit it because grace is unmerited favor or blessing. This This is big. This is the same exact thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 6. It's the same thing he says there. Romans 11, verse 6. You can flip there if you want. You can look on the screen. It's faster. Romans 11, 6. Paul says, but if it is by grace, 
and it was. We'll talk about that in a second. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Did you see that? Did I say that or did the Word of God say that? That's the word. I'm just repeating what the Word of God says. If it it is by works, then it is no longer of grace. Because grace is unmerited favor or blessing. Works merits something. We'll talk about, now we'll talk about that it. There's another it there, right? We're going to talk about that it because we can't do it today. When we get to this chapter, chapter 11, six or seven years from now. (laughs) But for right now, people are so patient. But there's just so much in the Word of God. For right now, I just want you to see, pop that verse back up if you would, please. I just want you to see the principle, the principle here, because it applies either way. If something is attained by grace, beloved, then it can have nothing to do with works. It cannot be on the basis of works or what a person has done because that would make grace something it is not. Do you understand? Grace cannot be favor or blessing to those who have worked for or earned it. It cannot be that. Otherwise, it would no longer be grace. You got that? Are you ready? How does faith now work into all of this? How does faith work into all of this? Why does it have to be the promise? Why does it have to be through faith? Well, faith's exclusive function, you can write this down too, Faith's exclusive function is simply to receive, to receive what God's grace freely bestows. Did you hear me? Grace exclusive, sorry, faith's exclusive function is simply to receive what God's grace, his unmerited favor and blessing, freely bestows or gives. There is nothing meritorious about faith. Did you hear what I just said? There is nothing meritorious, merits favor with God. There is nothing meritorious about faith. Rather, faith simply accepts the undeserving and unmerited favor or blessing that is freely given by God. You could rightly say that faith is simply resting on God's promises or fully trusting in His Word. In His Word. So let me put this together. Why must the promise to Abraham be attained by faith? Why? By faith and not on the basis of God's law? Why, Paul? Because, listen, if the promise comes 
through obedience to the law. If it comes through works of the law, if that's how it is attained, if that is God's plan, then the promise must be earned. And if it is earned, it would be deserved. And God would be obligated, obligated to give it. Why? Because of human merit. But the promise was made in accordance with God's grace. It was made in accordance with God's grace. And since the promise is by grace, which is what, beloved? God's unmerited and undeserved favor and blessing, since it is by grace, then it can only be attained through faith. Otherwise, it would no longer be grace. Do you see that? One writer says this. God's plan was made on purpose to rest on faith on man's side in order that on God's side it might be a matter of grace. But now listen, that's big. That's big. The implications are huge. But that's not the only reason Paul says that the promise depends on faith. That's not the only reason. It depends on faith so that it may rest on grace, that it may be in accordance with grace. It's the only way for us to receive the unmerited favor of God and for it to remain grace. But why else, Paul? Why must it depend on faith? Look back at the text. Romans 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. For this reason, it's on, it is because of faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. That's what we just looked at. And what? Be guaranteed. Be guaranteed to all his offspring. There's two things going on there. Guaranteed to all his offspring. Then he defines them. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. All right. Since it is not through the law, clearly, Paul's making that clear, but by faith that the promise is attained, then it is guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. That is, as we've talked about, to all who have faith. Not only to the Jew who has faith, or as Paul defines him here, to the adherent of the law, or as the Nasby translates it, to those who are of the law. But the promise is also guaranteed to the Gentiles, those who are not of the law or under the law as the Jews were, but rather those who have faith, who share the same faith of Abraham, the one who is called the father of us all, us all being all who believe, both believing Jews and Gentiles. Now, I want to come back. I want you to notice the word guaranteed. Guaranteed. Do you see that in the text? 
be guaranteed to all his offspring, both believing Jews and Gentiles. Paul could have just left out the word guaranteed. He could have left it out. Let me read it to you with, without it. He could have said, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be to all his offspring. And that still would have been true. Still would have been a good, solid point. It's for all, because it's through faith, not through the law. But he adds this word, guaranteed. Beloved, here's the point. If the promise depended on obedience to the law, if it did, there could be no guarantee of its attainment. There could be no guarantee. Since we know sinners fail to perfectly uphold God's law. Do I get any amens on that? We know that. Sinners fail to perfectly. They can try as best as they can. They fail. Sometimes worse than others. They fail to uphold God's perfect law. But praise God. Praise Him. Thank Him that it doesn't depend on our perfect obedience to the law. Rather, the promise depends entirely, entirely on God's perfect faithfulness to fulfill it. To fulfill it. And we, as sinners, simply lay hold of God's promise by faith or by trusting God for it. By trusting God for it. One writer says, were the promise contingent on human achievement? If it was based on human achievement, it would be anything but sure. We'd have no hope. Do you want to know? Here's the difference. This is why people who are committed to a system of salvation and the blessings of salvation based on law are never sure of their salvation or the blessings of salvation. We've talked about this. Those who are committed to that type of system can never be sure because they never know if they've done enough because they're looking to themselves. And they know themselves. <laughs> and they think, I don't know. I don't know if I've done enough. I don't know when I've done enough. But in the, in the system of Christianity, we can be assured of the promises of God, of the salvation of God, because I'm not looking at me. I'm looking to God. I'm looking to the perfect one, the faithful one who has made a promise, and by faith I'm trusting in God to fulfill that very promise. Period. One writer says this, because faith grasps, holds on to, the absolutely sure promise of God, a promise that He, God, has determined to freely give. Right? God's not obligated, beloved. You got that? He's not obligated to us. He's not obligated to save any of us, ever. That's why it's grace, unmerited favor. 
That's why we praise this one. That's why we give this one our lives. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He didn't even have to do it. He's not obligated. He, according to his own will and divine pleasure, determined to save sinners and freely offered us salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He gave it freely and all the blessings that come with it. He gives it freely. We didn't earn those either. We didn't merit them. We never could. We haven't obligated God. We never can obligate God. God freely gives. And as the writer says, the inheritance God has promised can become a reality because it's based on God. It's based on His promise, His willingness to freely give it. And therefore, it can become a reality for anyone, anyone who believes. Murderer, rapist, beloved, even child molester who repents and turns to Jesus Christ in faith and believes that through that he can be saved, he can be made right with God and inherit all the blessings that come to him because of salvation. Every, anyone, anyone who believes. Do you get that? No one, beloved, because it's not based on merit, because it's not earned, because we don't obligate God, no one is beyond the grace of God. No one. That's where that phrase comes. We say it. Why is no one beyond the grace of God? Because it doesn't have to do with them. This is God's unmerited kindness and blessing and favor being offered. If they will come by faith, God does the rest. God does the rest. It's not faith in me. It's not faith in my abilities. It's not faith in my goodness. Please. It is faith in God. It is faith in His abilities. It is faith in His perfect goodness and mercy. You see? Beloved, even if we fail God, even if we do, and we do, who here doesn't fail God? Please raise your hand. I want to talk to you after the service. Because I am... I am looking forward to that day where I don't fail him anymore. Okay, I'm looking forward to that day. But if we fail God, and we do, the promise of God remains certain because it depends on God and not us. That's what I'm saying. That's what Paul is saying. It is a promise that rests solely on God's grace. And therefore, because it rests solely on God's grace, it is attained only by faith. Faith, one person says, is just the hand of the heart. Just reaches out empty. It says, I'll take it, God. I don't deserve it, but I will take it. It is only by faith and not through human achievement or works or merit. It is a promise by grace guaranteed to anyone who imitates the faith of Abraham. You see why Abraham is so important? I, I, would, I would venture to say many Christians don't even know about this man, unfortunately, sadly. 
They haven't been exposed to the truth of God's word and how important Abraham is. Beloved, whether we are talking about the great blessings of God in relation to our salvation, like our glorious inheritance, or salvation itself, all of it is always a matter of grace and faith. Grace and faith. Listen, if it were not for God's grace, if it were not for God's grace, his, and I've said it a million times, what is that? What is that? Say it back to me. What is it? Now, it was good enough. You got the unmerited part in? That's good. Favor or blessing. If it was not for God's grace, that is freely what? Bestowed, fancy word, or given. Huh? If it was not for that, then you and I would be left with no hope. Okay? No hope of salvation. No hope of his internal blessings. No hope of a glorious and eternal inheritance. No hope of anything good and everlasting. No hope if it were not for his grace. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear that it is by faith alone, beloved, that we lay hold, we grasp all that God's grace freely gives. That it is by faith that we simply humbly receive what the grace of God generously offers. Recognizing that we don't deserve any of it. And therefore we have every good reason to be forever grateful for our amazing God of grace. I'm out of time, which is normal. But let me just close with this thought. Now having, having examined the connection between grace and faith, understanding what grace is to a better degree and, and understanding what faith is and why they must go together in order for them to work, in order for grace to remain grace, think of this passage now once again. You've heard it so many times, but now think about it in light of what you've just heard. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. And there the Apostle Paul writes, For by grace, by grace you have been saved. He's writing to Christian, it is by grace, his unmerited kindness towards us who don't deserve it. For by grace you have been saved. But he's not done through faith. Through faith, this is how we grasp hold of the salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. You didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. God's not obligated to you. And if you're not clear about that, Paul says, it is a free gift of God. Beloved, I wonder if you've, I wonder if you've received that gift. I wonder, I wonder, there is no way, pretty much no way that every person in this room has received that gift of salvation. Some of you are still betting on the law, betting on your obedience, betting on your merit, thinking you're going to obligate God in the end. God's just going to look at you and go, wow, I guess I owe you this place. Maybe we wouldn't say it so boldly. But that's kind of the process that we're working through. That's what we're trusting in. 
Instead of saying, God, I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws in more ways. I can't even keep track anymore. I am worthy of your wrath, God. I have been. I am completely worthy of your wrath. I deserve every piece of punishment that you're going to give me. I deserve hell. That's where you need to go to understand this, to understand salvation. Not, I don't think I deserve that place. I don't think that's right. Who's God to throw people into hell? Then you don't get it. You deserve it. If God's going to remain just, he needs to punish you. Right? And you believe, you go, I know I don't deserve it. But, God, you chose to send your son into the world to save an undeserving sinner like me, to rescue me from the very wrath of God that I absolutely have merited. And to give me a great salvation that I have done nothing to deserve and I could never earn, ever, God. And yet you give it freely if I will but receive, if I will but receive, trusting in Jesus Christ, trusting Him to be my salvation, trusting Him for the forgiveness of my sins, knowing that He was the one who took the wrath of God on my behalf for my sins, trusting not in my righteousness, I don't have any, but trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, believing that that very righteousness is credited to my account, justifying me and making me right before you, God. I'm not right before you. I have been made right before you by Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And if you will believe that, beloved, if you will place your trust fully in those things, the Bible says you will be saved. You will be saved. And then you know what happens? You'll know if it's real or not. You know how? Because your life will start to change. Your life will start to change. See, we're going to get to that. People are probably wondering, based on what you're saying, Jeremy, it sounds like, I mean, I can just be whatever I want to be because it's all grace. And beloved, it is all grace. But when that grace impacts your life, there's a change going on. That probably wasn't good English. But it sounds very preachy. You know what I mean? It kind of gets to this. There's some changing going on. That's what happens when this grace enters into your life. It begins to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Overnight? No. No. But little by little. You want to know how you've experienced the grace of God through faith? We'll talk about that in Romans chapter 6. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that as we proceed through Romans. You'll begin to know because your life will be changed. So it doesn't mean that, oh, I can go on being a murderer or a killer. A person who goes on being a murderer, a killer, a rapist, a child molester, they've never experienced this grace. Do you hear me? There's a balance. They've never experienced it. But the opposite is not true as well. Oh, because they stopped murdering or they stopped doing those terrible things, then somehow they obligate God to save them? No! No one can obligate God to save them because no one deserves it. God freely gives it and we just receive it by faith. 
And I hope, I hope, beloved, that every single person in here, before they walk out of the room, while I close in prayer now, would right where they sit, if they've never done it, receive Jesus Christ and the salvation that is in Him right now. Do it right now. You may not see tomorrow. This is not a, this is not a scare tactic. It's reality, beloved. You may not see tomorrow. And what will you say to God when He says, there was that preacher man, that crazy man, preaching to you my grace. And again you rejected it. You are not welcome into my kingdom. You see? I can't let you in. I offered it to you. You wouldn't accept it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just ask now that you would sovereignly work in the lives that are here. Father, for those of us who have tasted and experienced and drank of this grace, Father, might we just find thanksgiving bubbling up in our heart. Praise to you, recognizing what this all means, what you have done, that it's all of you, our salvation and every promise related to our salvation is all because of you. And may that cause us to want to honor you, to live for you, to give our very lives to you, Father. Because that's, that's what should happen when we rightly understand the teachings of the Bible. Father, for those who have yet to place their faith in Jesus Christ, yet to, to attain that grace through faith, yet to be saved, yet to really have the promises. Father, I pray again, please, Lord, for your own glory and for their good their great good, their eternal good, not only for those that are here, but Lord, over and over again, we have people praying for family members who have resisted your free offer, who have rejected it, who will not accept it, who will not humbly come and just say, yes, Lord, I am a wretched sinner. And without your salvation, I have no hope. I freely receive it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son into this world to die on my behalf. Father, there are many that just have not done that. And Lord, we pray for them as well. They're not in this room, but they're in other places. Father, sovereignly work powerfully through your spirit and through your people as your instruments to proclaim to them the word of God, the gospel, the power of God that brings salvation. Father, we pray even now in this room that your spirit would convict one, two, three, many, Lord, who do not, who do not have any hope, not really. They have no lasting hope because they do not have the lasting God. They don't. They may know about you, God. They may talk about you, but they have yet to bow before you. 
and to cry out, be merciful to me, a sinner. And to believe that through Jesus Christ, they can be saved and rescued from your wrath and given the full inheritance that you have prepared for all of your children of faith. Do that work now, Father, we pray. Please, please, in Jesus' name.